Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Mecklen. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. It's my favorite night of week. I've had a chance to hang out with my family and relax. And, you know, if the weather's nice, sit out by the pool. It's been pretty nice here in Texas. Cool in the evenings now, but still warm during the days. Kind of perfect. This is the best time of year here in Texas. And now I get to come to you. We got the dogs are going to be running in and out of the office. I think I've got one of them sleeping back here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that. You'll, you'll like that pose. There you go. That's Winston laying there. He's the puppy, by the way, and maybe you guys can't relate to this, but he is now almost 100 pounds, just over six months old. Levi's out there somewhere, and I've got my grand dog running around. I don't know if any of you have ever used that term, but I have a grand dog now. We don't have grandkids, so I have a grand dog, and uh, he's visiting us while my daughter and her husband are away at a wedding, so it's a little wild around here, but we love it. It's good, and there's good news, and there's bad news. I want to start, though, with I think the most important thing of the week, and it's impossible to talk about this week without talking about Hurricane Ian. I know if you're like me and you turn on the news, it's kind of wall-to-wall Ian. It's all you can see on television. The biggest thing that I think you can do is pray for the people in Florida and in South Carolina, right? Because it's done a lot of damage. There was loss of life. I think we're incredibly blessed. It seems like there was less loss of life than was plausible to expect from this. I think we're getting better and better at efforts to prepare for this kind of thing to make sure we're safe. Most of the people, it looks like, who lost their lives in this thing are because they didn't leave when they were asked to leave. I get why people don't do that. I really do. But here's a good lesson on why you should leave when you're facing a huge hurricane. Anyway, I'm just grateful. I know in the COS family, we have a lot of COS folks down in Florida, all over the state of Florida. There was some property damage, and but everybody's safe and sound and good and healthy. And that's the thing I'm happiest to report is that the COS family is safe and sound and healthy. A lot of you guys down there in Florida are safe and sound and healthy. The hurricane's now passed out of there. Most of the rain has passed out of there. And so you guys are doing well, hopefully, as you kind of start to rebuild. Look, Americans are resilient. The money will flow in from all over the country on a private basis. I know FEMA's down there involved. I've been super impressed with the way Ron DeSantis and his team have handled the crisis from before, during, and now after as they begin the rebuild. From my perspective, that's what real leadership looks like. So absolutely prayers going out to Florida and South Carolina, anywhere else where this storm might have done some damage. We're thinking about you guys. We love you guys. Be strong, be resilient, rebuild. It's going to be okay. And there's more good news, good news in the sense that the hurricane probably could have been worse as far as deaths, but here's really good news out of Europe. You have American leftists in the media, and I guess I'm being redundant when I say American leftists in the media, meaning the corporate media, alleging that Benito Mussolini was just elected prime minister of Italy. I'm not kidding you. Comparisons to Benito Mussolini, comparisons to Hitler, The woman who was elected, her name is Georgia Maloney. She was elected prime minister and she was elected on a platform. Get ready for it. It's radical. It's crazy. It's fascist. Family, God, country, borders, conservative Western values. Shocking. Exactly like Benito Mussolini. No, of course not. It's really interesting if you look her up, if you listen to some of her speeches and watch the translations, 
she literally, one of the things that she said that I love so much is she said, I'm not embarrassed to stand for God and family and motherhood and Western values. The people who say men are women and women are men should be embarrassed for themselves. The people who promote all this crazy social stuff should be embarrassed for themselves. We are not embarrassed for ourselves. She's proud to be Italian. She's proud to be a mother. She's proud to be a woman. She's proud to be a person of faith. She's proud to stand for Western values. And I think this is incredible news coming out of Italy. And we're starting to see this stuff, in my opinion, come out of all of Europe. Europe is swinging to the right. And why is this happening? It's happening because the woke world doesn't work. Woke don't work, baby. That's just the way it is. When people try to impose a woke world, a socialist world, a utopian world on the real world, eventually it crashes and burns. And the people who get punished the most in that crash and burn are not the ruling elites who are imposing this stuff. They're not. The people who get hurt the most are regular people. Gas prices through the ceiling. You get new green deal kind of stuff all over Europe and they become dependent on the Russians for their gas. They're going to have a very cold winter. Gas prices through the roof. Some of the same stuff that we're experiencing here because of a utopian woke worldview trying to be imposed upon us here in the United States from the progressive, radical, crazy Marxist left known as the Democrat Party, and over in Europe, a bunch of other parties trying to impose this vision on regular people. Now, it's important to remember a lot of the people who are trying to impose the vision, they fly around in their private jets, they're chauffeured in their private cars, they live on their big estates. You know, they're living high and mighty. They got the big carbon footprint. They're the big foot of carbon footprint, but they expect you regular people to live without heat, without cool, without your gas-powered cars. I mean, it's just insanity. And this is going on all over Europe, and we're starting to see a reaction to it all over Europe. And it makes me really excited to see the reaction to it. There's a magazine online called Issues and Insights, and there's a great article about this. I'm going to read a few things to you from Issues and Insights. It's at issuesandinsights.com. The article is called, Can the EU Survive Europe's Conservative Election Wave? Now, probably most of us thought, I never would live to see a conservative election wave, but we are. You've got Italy's Georgia Maloney I just talked about. And you know what the reaction to this is from the EU? The EU, by the way, a bunch of, I would say now, socialist Marxist bureaucrats unelected, unaccountable, who are trying to impose their vision, their elitist, woke, utopian vision on all of Europe. This is what European Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen said. If things go in a difficult direction, I've spoken about Hungary and Poland, and we have tools. She's talking about now Italy and their election, and Hungary with Viktor Orban, and Poland, which is a conservative Christian country. She's saying, we have tools. She's talking about her response, the EU's response to an election, a democratic election that nobody's claiming was fraudulent. We're not talking about a takeover or a coup or a dictatorship. She's not a fan. It's not her country. And she's talking about interfering with a sovereign nation's democratic election. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. And they're actually already doing this. As a warning, they suspended 7.5 billion euros in funding to conservative Victor Orban's Hungary due to alleged corruption. Now, this is even though by the EU's own data and the EU's own standards, Hungary is nowhere near the most corrupt country in Europe. You know, we're spending billions of dollars. They're spending billions of dollars in Ukraine, which is much more corrupt than Hungary. So this is what the EU is trying to impose. And we're going to see this all over the world. We're, gonna, we're seeing it in the U.S. with the rise of the police state, right, where they're using 
extra, I would say extra constitutional powers to try to impose their will and their vision on the American people. And we're seeing this in Europe. And again, this is not out of, it's not coming out of nowhere. If you look at country after country in Europe right now, what, what we would call moderate conservatives, what they call the far right, are winning elections that are undermining the EU's ability to impose their mandates. It started with Brexit in 2016, and it's continuing throughout the EU, God, family, and country conservatives. And by the way, again, according to you, the way you think of conservative, or I do, these people are not hardcore conservatives. They're not far right. They're not alt right. They're not fascist. Look at what just happened in Britain. You have conservative, quote unquote, tax cutting Liz Truss. I don't think you or I would consider her a hardcore conservative. She's now going to be prime minister, right? That's This is not the left winning. This is the right winning. Sweden's recent elections brought in a new conservative government. And what you have is winning candidates over there are running on platforms of limiting immigration, shunning the elites, producing their own energy, not relying on Russia, actually farming instead of shutting down farms. And so what's happening is the EU is pushing back against this. Again, Maloney says, we'll defend God, country, and family. That speech, by the way, got taken down by YouTube after it went viral for its content. She says, they said it's scandalous for people to defend the natural family founded on marriage, to say no to gender ideology. I say the embarrassing ones are not us. The embarrassing ones are those who support practices like wombs for red, abortion at nine months, and blocking the development of children with drugs at 11 years of age. I, maybe we need to nominate her for president here. I know she's not a citizen. We can't do that. I'm being facetious. But we need people like her. And by the way, she's an admirer of Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. And so, of course, they call her far right and fascist. And when I say they, I mean like CBS News <laughs> and everybody else on the left in the United States of America. But I'm telling you this because the news out of Europe as far as the political trends are good. And I think those political trends are taking place here. I think that's important for you guys to know as well. So we do a lot of polling here at Convention of States Action, uh, and we poll not so much directly election polling. We do some of that, but mostly we're polling issues. And there's some super interesting polling that we've done over the last week that I want you guys to know a bit about. So I'm going to pop some of this polling open. I think one of the most amazing polls that, that we did in the last couple of weeks is we polled Kevin McCarthy's commitment to America. I'm sure a lot of you have seen that commitment. You know what it's all about. It lays out a bunch of quote unquote conservative things that the Republicans are going to do. And I think what's most interesting about that as you look at it is that they didn't move the needle at all with this. Now, there's nothing in there that I oppose. There's probably nothing you would oppose. I think the real question is, do the American people believe that they're going to do it? And I think the answer is not really. Most of us don't trust the Republican Party, don't trust McCarthy, don't trust McConnell, don't really believe they're going to do this stuff. So we look at it and we're like, meh, I mean, it looks interesting, but are Republicans really going to do it? I doubt it. So it didn't move the needle. Interestingly, when we polled, what is it exactly, <coughs> excuse me, that Americans liked about it? They liked the parent, parental bill of rights. What's not to like? The idea that you should have some input on what your kids learn in school, that school should be transparent so that you know what your kids are learning in school, so that you should have some say over that stuff. Of course, parents like that. They like the idea of an energy-independent America. Important, too. The average person thinks it's absolutely absurd. By the way, only 3% of Democrats even think we can do away with gas-powered cars. 
<coughs> so the numbers are very strong for the items within the plan. The question is, will they actually do the plan? We also did some polling on crime. And so the plan takes a stand against crime, pledges money for police, et cetera, et cetera. And Americans say, 77% of Americans say that they wouldn't vote for somebody that doesn't support processes and procedures that keep hardened criminals behind bars. They want the police, they want district attorneys to be able to throw criminals in jail and keep them in jail. Again, no shock there, right? I mean, the, the thing is, these are just common sense things. And, and the frustration is that the politicians don't pay attention to the common sense things. They know what the American people want, and then they just don't American people want because they think we're in charge and they don't think we're in charge. I want to run through really quickly some of the uh, election stuff that we talked about on call last night with Robert Cahaley. I think one of the most fascinating things we do is work with Robert Cahaley, and I'm trying to pull down the, the uh, conversations from last night. We work with Robert Cahaley. He is the most accurate pollster in the United States of America, and he gets it right. He got it right in 2016. He got it right in uh, in 2020, as close as anybody else, he's the only guy that predicted that uh, you would have the DeSantis win in Florida. He got it right in Virginia. He's really good. So I'm going to rip through a couple of races really quick so you guys get a feeling. He says one of the races that's really interesting, that's not talked about much, that's kind of an outlier, is Murray versus Smiley in Washington. Murray's the incumbent Democrat, been there forever. Smiley uh, is the Republican. And she's a super interesting candidate. Her husband's a veteran who lost his eyesight in combat. And it looks like Smiley's gaining and is within a couple of points on Murray. So Patty Murray could lose her seat in Washington. Washington could be headed into the red column. It looks like that governor's race could go red. Nevada, you have Cortez Masto, the Democrat incumbent, versus Adam Laxalt. Looks like Laxalt is consistently up at least two, now maybe four points. That's looking good for Republicans. Arizona, you have Kelly, the Democrat incumbent, versus Masters. Masters has been behind, but looks like he's now within a couple of points, within striking distance. That's looking good. Uh, in Colorado, you have Bennett versus O'Day. <coughs> Bennett is the incumbent Democrat. O'Day is the challenger Republican. He's very moderate, and he seems to be having a problem with conservatives. That's really the issue there. He's running more moderate. That's, I guess, what he thinks you have to do in Colorado to get elected, but conservatives really don't like him. He's pro-choice up to 16th week or something. I think that's really hurting him with conservatives. So that's kind of a toss-up, but moving Democrat. North Carolina, you have Beasley versus Bud. Bud's up by a couple of points. North Carolina tends to be a, sweet, a swing state due to research triangle, but it looks like Bud is uh, coming on strong, and he's holding his like two-point lead. Looks like he's going to win. Warnock versus Walker. It looks like Walker's coming on strong and peaking at the right time. He's really running a good campaign, but Warnock is as well and outspending. All these races, Democrats are outspending, but I think I would call that one that's going to be a Walker race. In Florida, you have Rubio versus Deming. That was never a race, by the way. It was always going to be Rubio. Uh, in Ohio, you have Ryan the Democrat versus Vance the Republican. That's going to go to Vance, according to Kahalia. That's Vance has never been out of, out of the lead in that one. Wisconsin, you have Johnson, the Republican incumbent, versus Barnes, the Democrat. Democrat is radical. That's coming out right now. Johnson's starting to run a better and better campaign, peaking at the right time. I think Wisconsin goes to Johnson. Pennsylvania got Fetterman versus Oz. I don't think the polls were ever accurate when they were showing Fetterman up 10 or 15 or 12 or whatever it was. Oz now within striking distance, probably a couple points down again, appears to be tweaking his campaign correctly here in the final stretch. That one I think goes to Oz. New Hampshire, and this is uh, going to be interesting, Hassan versus Balduck. 
Baldock is a general. He's very conservative. Uh, Hassan is very kind of moderate-ish. Uh, I think Baldock can pull this one out. I think there's no great polling on this right now. We should have polling here in the next uh, week or so that I think is going to show us that Baldock's a lot closer than people thought to Hassan. All that being said, it looks like a good year for the GOP in the Senate. I would predict 60-40 that the GOP takes the Senate. I'm not saying 60 seats. I'm saying 60% chance. They're going to take the majority in the House. Probably, I'm going to say, uh, they're going to swing 25 seats at least in the House. So I think it's going to be a, an excellent year for Republicans. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. All right, uh, so that's the state of election play. In the next week, what we've got up is the COS Summit. I'm going to be traveling to Florida. There's 600 of you that are going to be joining me there. These are leaders. You guys are leaders. If you're coming, these are people who are literally had to be a leader in COS to sign up for the summit. We've got Mark Levin giving the keynote speech. We've got uh, James O'Keefe coming in for the opening night. We've got Dave Rubin's going to be there. We've got, uh, who else do we have? Matt and Mercedes Schlapp are coming to talk about how to fight the cancel wars. Uh, we've got uh, Steve Dace is coming to be with us. Uh, lots of people. I mean, more than I can actually remember. It's going to be really fun. Rick Green is going to be there. You're and my favorite constitution coach, David Barton, is going to be there. Give us a good history lesson. It is going to be incredible. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm always inspired more than anything else I do by going to the summit and being with 600 people. We haven't been able to do it for a while because of all the COVID madness, so the woo flu madness, but now we're all going to be together. It's going to be good. All right, so we're going to go to questions and answers now, my favorite part. Remember, if you upload video questions, you can do that at conventionofstates.com forward slash battle cry, or you can email your questions to battle cry at cosaction.com. So I'm going to jump in to what is probably the most controversial question that I'm gonna deal with during the Q&A period. Some of you heard, probably a lot of you heard, uh, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks ago on the radio, Glenn Beck spontaneously combusted <laughs> and announced that he was withdrawing his support for Convention of States, that he had thought about it, and he said we weren't a godly enough country, he said he'd lost his faith in America, essentially, he'd lost his faith in you. It was actually bad, and it was really sad to listen to, it was to listening to a person who sounded crushed and depressed. And I mean, you guys might know me well enough to know now, I'm never crushed and, and, and depressed. I'll never quit fighting. I'm always gonna be in the fight. You guys are, I would be in the fight if they became a complete totalitarian government, if they stopped elections, if they threw me in prison and imprisoned my family, I would not renounce the fight. And so Glenn Beck had said something like, you know, we need to give up on America. Maybe, maybe America needs to crash. I'm not quoting exactly, but something like that. Well, interestingly, just a couple of days later, he came back and he really changed his position. And he didn't say, I want to be clear, he didn't completely say that he's changed his position back to supporting convention states, but he came pretty close. And I'm working on getting a conversation together. Hopefully me and Glenn will be talking soon. And because, you know, we've been friends for a long time. He's been a big supporter. And so we're working on a date when we can sit down face to face. But I want you to listen to this because you're going to hear Sounds like maybe he's come out of his depression or he's not as morose and he's moving back towards COS. So I want you to hear this for yourself. Go ahead. Apparently you me. withdrew your support for the convention of states because we've talked about this as a real solution as, as yeah, one know, of the I only know. ways to get the country back on I track. I know. I know. 
I, I as I said, I still fully support the Article Five uh, as as it is. I fully believe that that is something that we can do. I do believe that's the last cord to rip. Um, but I also am very very concerned. Now I, this is what's weird is, uh, and I, I I have to make this clear: the people who are doing the convention of states. I love them. I think they're a oh, great yeah. organization. Mm-hmm. I think they really have their heart in the right place. Um, and I understand um, that they, you know, what they're doing. I am a supporter of them. A lot of this was addressed in the structure of the convention. I you know it's been a while since we've talked about it in detail. But I know Mark Levin wrote a book uh, yeah, about this. He, he, he's... He, and I remember, because these concerns came up at the time. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to have making these decisions? Uh, you know, you, this could go awry very easily. And it did seem like, I thought there was a pretty compelling argument that the structure of the convention would so prevent it's, that. it's not just the structure of it as well. I mean, are we prayerfully approaching this? I mean, I didn't, I didn't just get up one morning and go, no, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I prayed about it, um, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong because I know the people who are out there swinging for this are good, decent people. They're oh, yeah. really good people, and you know, David Barton, Wall Builders, they're really behind it. Yeah. yeah. So and who Dave, am I yeah. to say? Mm-hmm. There you go. So look, he had a momentary lapse of reason. He's coming back our way. It's all going to be good. I got a few questions about this, you know, so we had a question from Mark White. We had a question from Jim Walker. Wanted to know if we've reached out to Glenn to talk to him about his crisis of faith. The answer is yeah. And we're working on getting a sit down going, we'll, we'll have a conversation with Glenn. I feel for him. Look, the country is in a dismal state. We all talk about this. And, and if you do what he does for a living and all day long, what you're doing is reporting on all the bad stuff going on. Like all the madness, all the Marxism, all the gender ideology, all the critical race theory. He's an expert in all of this stuff. And that's all you pay attention to every day, all day long. That's what you're steeped in. You could have a crisis of faith. See, the difference is for me personally, is I get to hang out with you guys a lot. And so if I ever get to feeling at all like that, then I immediately get whipsawed around because I get to hang out with you guys. And it gives me faith because I know you're godly people, because I know you're praying for America, because I know you're paying attention. I know you're watching Rick Green and I on biblical citizenship. I know you're studying servant leadership. I know you're praying for the country. I know where your heart is, and I know there are millions of So because I, I don't get to the point where Glenn got to. And look, we've said we didn't attack Glenn. We love Glenn. We pray for Glenn. We want him to have the same level of hope that we do. And I'll let you know, because hopefully uh, we're going to have a conversation here soon. Again, I love Glenn. I just want to go hang out with him and pray with him, have a conversation with him. I think it's all going to be fine. So don't panic. Stick, keep, keep calm. Don't panic. Carry on, right? All right. Frank Herring wants to know, can we sue the government for gross misuse of our tax dollars? And the answer is generally not. They can use our tax dollars how they want to use them. We say gross misuse. They would say constitutionally, according to the powers that they have. There are specific things we can sue for. Like I think Joe Biden 
has been sued and is going to be sued to stop him from doing the student loan payoff. It's unconstitutional. He doesn't have the authority to do that. He's going to get sued on that and he's going to lose. So that's how we sue them for gross misuse of tax dollars. If and when we can, there are lots of good organizations doing it. And one I would point to is America First Legal run by Stephen Miller. Full disclosure, my son works there as a young legal clerk, should be a lawyer, God willing, by November 1st when the bar results come in. Uh, but America First Legal is suing him for everything you can possibly sue him for. Betty Irwin asks, has there ever been a convention of states in our past history? And the answer is, there's never been an Article 5 convention of states, but there have been over 40 conventions of states on different subject matters over the decades, uh, starting with 10 before 1787, approximately 31 cents. Yep, we absolutely know how they operate because there have been a whole bunch of them. Michael Rowe says, can you provide a short update on Nevada status with COS? Uh, Michael, that's a, it's been a slow slog there because we were moving when we had a Republican legislature. And then what happened is we lost that legislature. It went Democrat. And so that's just been a, a slow slog. But I think there's a chance that it's going to flip electorally, and that should really change things. So I think things are looking up for Nevada COS. But there's a good team there, boy, so you got to plug into that team. They absolutely need more volunteers. They need you. Uh, Rick Weissman asked, how many more states do we need? Rick, we have 14. Oh, sorry. Gosh, we have 19. We need 15 more. And uh, then we'll be at the 34, which is two-thirds of the required states. John Baker says, what keeps the Convention of States from not just proposing amendments, but also changing the requirements for ratifying any proposed amendment from 38 states to 26 states? If a COS can change term limits, which is set in the definition of the legislative body, why can't COS change the ratification requirement? Well, John, you could theoretically, if you held a convention and proposed an amendment to change the ratification method, and then that amendment were ratified, then a convention of states could do it. That would not be available in our convention, but you could theoretically hold a convention to do that. This convention can't do that. And the convention could not simply say, hey, we're going to ratify by a different method because the method is actually specified in the United States Constitution. So that's why they can't change the ratification requirements. All right, that's what we got for today, folks. Uh, I would say, again, we'll close out by saying, please, please pray for South Carolina, pray for Florida, pray for all the folks who were displaced, all the folks who had property damage, all the families that lost loved ones. Thank the Lord, because it could have been a much, much worse situation. I think we came out of this as, as good as you can come out of a Cat 5 hurricane. But blessings and prayers to all those folks down in Florida and South Carolina. And for all of you who are coming to the COS Summit next week, uh, starting next Thursday night in Orlando, Florida, I am so jacked up about seeing you there. If you're coming, make sure you come up, say hello to me, tell me you're a fan of the battle cry. I love you. God bless you. And we'll see you. Well, we won't see you next week. We'll be off next week. No battle cry next week. We'll see you the following week on The Battle Cry. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.